You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Episode 169 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band A Living Hell. A Living Hell is a St. Louis, Missouri punk rock band. They're inspired by 90s and early 2000s punk rock and metal with generally dark lyrics based off of both horror movies and stories. I really dig these guys and I think you're going to like them as well. For more information on A Living Hell, you can find them on all of the streaming platforms as well as Facebook at A Living Hell Rocks and Instagram at A Living Hell Band dot official. Now here it is, their new single, All I Have. Got it. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, this is Kevin Lyman, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the bed, tomorrow we'll do it. Hey, hey, everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? As always, this is Chris Swinney, and I am your host for that one time on tour. If this is your first time joining me, this is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have a stellar conversation. I hope you're all doing well out there, staying safe and healthy as always. I wanted to know something. Did you miss me last week? I sure missed all of you out there. Uh, I know that I haven't been as consistent as usual lately with the uh, with the content creation, but uh, with Mini Swinney starting kindergarten, uh, the band stuff I'm doing, my work life. My wife going out of town. It's been really hard to knock these episodes out as of late. I've been I've been trying my hardest, but uh, you know, I'm doing my best to get back on track. And thank you so much for sticking with me. I'll always do this podcast, but you know, for the first three, three and a half years, I only took a couple weeks off, and it was just episode after episode after episode. And Lately, it's been a little bit more challenging. I've, I've been having, I haven't really had a lot of the free time that I normally have uh, to schedule interviews and to get these episodes out for you guys. And um, yeah, so there, uh, <laughs> it's going to be crazy, but I'm going to do it. I'm never going to stop doing this podcast. It just might not be every week. There might be a week or two here and there that uh, maybe I have some other stuff going on. So please don't don't worry. If you like the show, it's going to continue. And it's going to get more consistent. I apologize for that. But it uh, doesn't look like it's letting up anytime soon. My hectic life continues in October. I'm going to see one of my favorite bands next week, the amazing Lucero. Shout out to Ben and Brian and all the Lucero dudes. I'm taking my stepdad for his birthday. He really, really likes Lucero as much as I do. Uh, and a couple weeks after that, my daughter Indy turns four. A week after that, I turned 43, the big 4-3. A week after that, the new fire sale record drops that we've worked so hard on. And a week after that, I head to Alaska on vacation. So uh, it's pretty crazy because then after I get back from Alaska, the holidays hit. There's just not enough time. There's not enough hours in the day to try to get everything done. But I'm going to do my best to crank out these episodes. Um, But, you know. There might be a couple weeks here and there missed, so please stick with me. 
And uh, I appreciate all of your support. I appreciate people all the time. They they email like, why weren't you? Why didn't you put an episode last week? I'm like, ah, you should have listened to the end of the episode because I explained what was going on. But uh, so enough about that. Let's get to today's episode. It's such a good episode. I had such a good time with this one. Today on the program, I got to sit down and have a chat with Mr. Kevin Lyman. Kevin Lyman uh, is such a good guy. He was the mastermind behind the Warp Tour. Uh, he worked for Lollapalooza. He's done so many cool things. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you know how much Warp Tour means to me and a lot of the guests that have been on the show. I cut my teeth on that tour, playing literally every stage from the baby stages all the way up to the main stage. I first met Kevin back in 2002 when I was tour managing an awesome band from Canada called Sewing with Nancy, who later changed their name and kind of reformed as The Reason. Um, our mutual friend Rory from No Use for a Name introduced us. I remember we were on the beach one day on an off day. We talk about it in the episode. Uh, that's when I first met Kevin. And I gave Kevin a CD from my band at the time, my high school band, Chronic Chaos. And after I kind of persistently emailed him, which if you listen to uh, the the Aaron from Fat Records episode, I talked about how much I kind of bugged Kevin until he got back to me. But it worked. And he dug the CD and he gave us a month on the tour. Uh, then after that, every time I was on the tour with all the different bands that I played with, Kevin was always such a positive person, po just positive influence in my life and other people's lives. He always remembered me and made it a point to chat with me and like kind of, you know, treat you like you're special. There are so many more important people on that tour than me. But Kevin always had a way of making even the smallest band feel like, you know, they were no effects or somebody like he's just a great guy. Uh, we should all strive to be more like Mr. Kevin Lyman. And it was an honor getting to chat with him after all these years and kind of just let him know how much Warped meant to me and all the ways that, you know, Warped and he himself helped me out just kind of being him and just kind of, you know, leading by example, showing you what you should what you should do when you're in the music industry. And uh, he has a brand new amazing podcast, too, which is really cool. It's called My Warped Life. You all need to check it out. If you've ever played on the tour or just attended like your local date, just like as a concert goer, this podcast will scratch all of your musical itches. It's really, really good. You have to check it out. My Warped Life, available right now on all of the podcast catchers. So before I get to my awesome chat with Kevin, let's do some housekeeping. Let's pay some bills. The sponsors for today's episode, a great band out of St. Louis, A Living Hell Love them. They're awesome. You can check them out on the streaming sites. Also on Facebook at a living hell rocks and Instagram at a living hell band dot official. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring. I really appreciate the support. Next up, we have partscaster concierge.com. I tell you about him every week. My buddy, Gary, he builds guitars. He consults on guitars. He builds pedals. He does everything. He built me a guitar. He needs to build you a guitar. Hit up Gary at partscasterconcierge.com. Last but not least, we have Permanence Tattoo Gallery. You can check them out on the socials at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. They're over in Anderson, Indiana, downtown on Meridian Street. You got to check them out. It's the only place I get tattooed in central Indiana. It's really the only place I get tattooed at all anymore. I'm, uh, I'm taking my mom to Alaska on that little trip. And I think I've got her talked into getting a tattoo 
And I'm hoping there's some shops in Juneau. I've Googled it. And there's a couple shops. I don't know if they take walk-ins or not, but I'm going to attempt to get something on my little trip with my mom. And I'm going to try to get, she's been talking about getting a tattoo for the last 30 years. So we'll see if I can talk her into getting one. I told her I'd pay for it and everything. So I don't know. Send me, send me emails and shit. Tell me what my mom should get tattooed on her. She wants to get something trip specific. So something Alaskan, maybe, maybe a moose or a bear or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so check out Permanence Tattoo Gallery at Permanence Tattoo Gallery on all of the socials. And also, here's the thing. I just kind of, I never really said this, but I've started saying it lately. All of this information and all of the links to the band that sponsored the episode, my band, the sponsors, like the companies that sponsor, whatever, all of these links are in the show notes on the episode page. All you have to do, if I say something and you're like, oh, I wanted to check that out, but I don't want to rewind it. I I just want to, you know, how do I find out what Chris was talking about? Just go to tototpodcast.com and click on the episode page and all of the links are there and you can check it out. If you have a band or a company and you would like to sponsor an episode of that one time on tour, super easy. You can DM me on all the socials at tototpodcast or you can shoot me an email, tototpodcast at gmail.com. We have a Patreon. I, I slack over there. But if you want to check it out, it is patreon.com forward slash tototpodcast. We do have a tier on our Patreon that uh, is a producer tier. It's a little bit more money per month to, to help the show out. And I like to give shout outs to our producers. I'd like to give a shout out to John Exton from the United Kingdom. He is one of our Patreon producers. He's in an awesome band called Between Static and Silence. Uh, I've had the honor of working with them. I mastered a track for him. You got to check him out. They are on Instagram and the streaming sites at BSAS Band. Between Static and Silence. Shout out to John. Thanks for the support, man. I appreciate it. Uh, If you want to send a one-time donation to your favorite podcast to keep the lights on, you can hit up my personal Venmo. It is at Christopher Swinney. That is C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-S-W-I-N-N-E-Y. The easiest way to support, subscribe, rate, and review. It gets the algorithm going, gets us in front of you know new people. Gets That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to reach new people. So subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. And share our stuff on your socials. Let people know you dig the show. I'd like to give a shout out, like I always do, to our art director, Sarah, over at Road Dog Supply. Make sure to follow her on Instagram and Facebook, at Road Dog Supply. She's been working so hard on the new Fire Sale, which is my band that uh, I started during the pandemic, if you don't know, with Matt from No Use for a Name and Tim from Protest the Hero and a bunch of other awesome dudes. It's called Fire Sale, and Sarah's doing a lot of the merchandise for the bundles, and they are still, for a limited time, they are available at our website, firesaleisaband.com. Please check it out. I don't have a segment today. I uh, just, you know, I, I when I was writing my notes out, I had so much I wanted to talk about Kevin in the intro, just to kind of show you guys what it means to have someone like Kevin on my show, that uh, I didn't want to take up any more time. So we're going to jump straight into it right now. This is my conversation with the man, the legend, Warp Tour mastermind, Mr. Kevin Lyman. Here we go. 
And I am on the line with uh, someone very important to my career and my life in music, Mr. Kevin Lyman, founder of the Warp Tour. How you doing, man? Good, Christopher. What's going on with you? It, I, I'm doing really, really well, man. I, I'm so excited to have you on the program today. Uh, you know, the Warp Tour has meant so much to me, just like so many other people. You know, I've I've played pretty much every stage on that tour with different bands. And even back in the day, my high school band, you know, I, I was on the tour with uh, a band called The Reason from Canada. I got to be friends with Rory from No Use for a Name. He introduced me to you one day. I gave you my high school band CD and you gave us a month on the tour. So you, you've just been instrumental in my career, man. I just wanted to thank you off the bat. Well, I'm glad to uh, help out and, and Rory's a great person. So, you know, it's nice to be able to be connected through him. And you were just always so nice. Like there were a couple of days where on the Kevin says stage, there were too many bands and you bumped us up to Volcom. And like, I don't know, man, it's just, you've always, it seems to me like there were huge bands on that tour, but you kind of treated everybody the same. And I really, really like that. Was that something you set out to do? Um, absolutely. I mean, I'd work, you know, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of shows before I started the Warp Tour. And I never really understood why, you know, Almost you saw this kind of like sometimes not so much in the punk world, but I, I was crossing into the metal world where it was like almost like a hazing of the young bands and everything. And I was like, you know what? Bring the community together, pull people up, take a step back once in a while to pull the whole scene forward. And I think that I think we really perpetuated that in punk. You know, punk was kind of always that way. You know, if we had a half a pizza you got a half, you got a quarter of a pizza, yeah. you know, if you, you know, we took our drums down, we let people use the drum riser. If we had one, it wasn't, it was more like, Hey, if you're, if we build this community strong, it's going to be around, which we look at it, you know, punk now has gone on. Some bands have sold millions of records, you know, by blink and green day, but it was a lot. It's funny how I see sometimes how people are getting, Gold records now, 20 years later after releasing that record. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, you know, I talked to you the other day when we set this up, you were on your way to see Green Day and Fall Out Boy and those guys that the, that huge tour that's going on right now is the Hell Omega Tour, I think is what it's called, right? Yeah, the Hell Omega Tour. I mean, it was my first show back to anything in about 18 months. So I, I do have to say I was a little bit emotional in a weird way just because all those bands had toured on Warp Tour. Yeah. But at different times, you know, you had, you know, the interrupters in the last few years, you had fallout boy around 2005, you had green day around 2000 Weezer kind of fell in there, in the, you know, somewhere in that mix. So it was nice to see them all on one big show selling out, you know, playing big stadiums. It's funny too, because uh, my wife and I were big fans of, of the music shows on TV, like American Idol and, and The Voice, you know, they're just something to watch that if you like music, it's, it's kind of exciting. And I remember when Idol came back and Katy Perry was the host, my wife's a bit younger than me. And I told my wife, I'm like, I remember watching her on the Ernie Ball stage on Warp Tour. And then she was the biggest thing in the world. And I just think that's so cool. It's almost like Warp Tour became this farm team for bands to kind of graduate to that next level. It, it was, I mean, you know, it was interesting. I, I, Katie, someone sent me, she posted up something from Warp Tour on her Instagram a, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, it's like two days later, there's 2 million views of it. You know? <laughs> you know, it's of her crowd surfing to 303. Yeah, yeah. But 
No, it was a farm team. I think it taught people how to tour live. It, it toured people, you know, just I always say it was for brands. It was for crew people. It was for bands. A lot of times it was the first opportunity. And if you shined, you kind of moved up, you know, in the system, moved up to a different stage, uh, moved up in the uh, crew world or your brand might have grown and been recognized and put into, you know, retail stores. It helped brands crack into retail stores. And then sometimes, you know, it just didn't pan out. And so people, after a few years, you didn't hear from them. And maybe I'll run into them now and they'll, they'll be like, yeah, I opened a restaurant or I went into real estate. But I learned a lot on that tour. I learned how to work hard. Well, I'll tell you, man, the one thing that I really liked from, I want to talk about the podcast. We'll kind of bring that up now. You have the new podcast, my warped life podcast, where as soon as I saw it, I clicked on it because, you know, like I said, warp tour has pretty much been the, the biggest determining factor in what I've done in music my entire life. So listening to that and hearing people's stories, but the thing that struck me was my first time on the tour was my first, you know, high school band chronic chaos that you hooked up early, early on in our career before I joined other bands. And the one thing that we found out really quickly was if we walked around with a discman, we could survive because on the Kevin says stage, we weren't getting any money. You were just nice enough to let us play. So we would go around and just sell and sell and sell and sell. And I think that tour is the tour we made the most money on ever. And I love the fact that you guys are highlighting that and you're telling these stories that maybe people don't know about if they're casual warped fans. Was that a weird thing to know that bands were out there selling that kind of stuff just on their own without the venue or yourself even maybe knowing about it? No, I, 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 I always said it was, uh, you know, the gray market was encouraged in some ways because, you know, I knew that, you know, someone like you guys, you know, I, I could give you a spot, but with, you know, up to 80 to 100 bands a day, the, the economics weren't panning out. But, you know, if you hadn't gone out there and sold CDs, you would have said, hey, that was fun. We got to go home, though. We don't have gas. Yeah. If you said, hey, we want to stick around <laughs> and uh, we're willing to go out there and do it. And it actually got a lot of music in people's hands. Uh, I, you know, I wish that we could have added up all the CDs that were sold out on, on that tour. But it was always made me kind of like stoked when a band would come up and say, oh, my God, we hit 100 today you know, or yeah. we hit 50 today or 20 today that they sold that much music uh, and put it in people's hands at that point. Uh, so, you know, it was a great little uh, ecosystem out there of, of uh, people. And like you said, it, it was uh, a farm team. Like, you know, there was bands that maybe played their one show and they're like, oh man, I don't have any gas money. But then there'd be other bands that go, we sold a hundred. I go, oh man, you need to come to the next show. <laughs> you know, if a if hundred people were willing to buy your music, I got to give you another 30 minutes. Well, I'll tell you, like with the early career of, of what I was doing when we got on Warp Tour, which was in uh, 2003, which was a huge kind of stellar year. Like I met people that I ended up playing in bands with later, like Chris Rowe from the Ataris. And and like, I just I don't know, like it really kind of set me up for success. But that that guerrilla marketing kind of thing that we did we might only have 10 or 20 people watching us on the Kevin says stage, but we followed that tour up with another tour hitting those same markets a few months later. And because of selling all of those CDs, when we weren't playing, we had really good shows. So I don't know, man. I just, I love the fact that you were cool with that because I know that most of the time tours, you're trying to make some money. You're trying to keep afloat and you weren't taking a cut. You know what I mean? The the you were just kind of letting people do whatever they wanted, and 
I just kind of have to commend you for that. I think, like you said, it, it really helped out the careers of a lot of bands that got bigger later on. There was enough to go around. That's how I felt, you know, I, and I always felt that, you know, there were some people that were, I think, you know, not everyone was going to like Kevin Lyman, but I think they had a respect that, you know, I, I left it. There was enough for, there was enough to go around. Um, I don't think in punk rock, if you took advantage of punk rock, you would have been allowed to stay in it. Uh, I think, you know, people understood and most people were like, cool, you, you raised a family on punk rock. You were able to build your passion and have the innovation to stay in it. Everyone says, I'll follow your passion, but you have to have some innovation behind it. And innovating what we did with, with Warp Tour allowed a lot of bands to continue their careers during those periods maybe were it was out of semi out of fashion except for the hardcore and then it would come back in it kind of leveled out those dips and valleys you know music trends tend to go through dips and valleys and i think we kind of leveled them out now you guys started the tour back in 1995 it became the longest running kind of music festival tour and music festival in north america one, the first thing I want to ask about that before we kind of talk about the history, do you think that will ever be bested <laughs> like in the today's climate? Do you think that'll ever happen again? As a touring festival, um, someone's really going to have to revamp the concept or anything to economically be able to make it work. Um, it was, it was, um, you know, we'd have to draw, draw a half a million people a year to kind of get to that break even point. And understandably, the, the business changed. You know, bands weren't making as much money on records, so they had to go out and you know chase the money a bit more. So you know, if you didn't have some bands that were willing maybe to take a step back to move their careers forward in another couple of years, it couldn't bring all those younger bands. And, and we kind of tapped out on the, the sponsorship world. I um, mean, everyone saw how many sponsors we had. They were all hugely supportive of and allowed us to, to take that tour down the road. But, you know, it was also a, a, there was a lot of, you know, our brands that couldn't, didn't, we didn't work with alcohol brands and we wouldn't take cigarette brands. Uh, it was not in my mindset to do that. And I just wouldn't do it though. It was offered to us. Yeah. Uh, and the economics, if I had taken them probably would have been a lot greater, I guess, in my pocket, I guess. I don't know. But um, I, I don't know. Maybe I hope someone does, but 25 years is a long time. 25 years is a long time to commit. Um, I think people are, are trying some good things. Um, I see the sad summer was out this thing, summer doing their thing. Um, you know, it's, and the, and the climate's changing. Uh, no one can tell me, I mean, it's brutal. I mean, if you even look now, of course, with COVID, we've had festivals canceled. We've had things like that. But every week you see another festival got blown out by another big storm. And those storms are severe. and we were very lucky. We were very fortunate. We dodged the weather pretty well for 20. I think we pushed our luck. Yeah. <laughs> I remember a few times, I think there was one time in Cleveland, maybe and somewhere else where just those massive thunderstorms would hit and it would just totally like, you know, there would be a delay and then maybe it would come back. Do you remember the worst weather event that you suffered during that? I think you might have hit it during Cleveland, you know, that was that because it came out of nowhere yeah, and just blew everything up. And, but we, we pulled it back together and started the show about, but then I had told every kid to bring your ticket to another show. I'd let you in for free. So <laughs> we had kids following us around to Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, which I, the, the venues got a little bit upset, but I said, look, 
I'm not making any money on this. You're going to make money on food. You're going to get the food and beverage for what, let them come to the show. Um, you know, it got pretty crowded over in Pittsburgh though, because that wasn't too far a drive from Cleveland. And I think we had about 5,000 kids show up on already a show that had, you know, 10 or 15,000, about 15, we had about 20,000 people that day in that amphitheater. I think we were a little overcrowded at that point, but <laughs> Hey, you know what? Work crowds were great. And, you know, I do miss, you know, going through some, I go some of those days, even though they were so hard and you had, you know, had a lot of lives in your hands too. You, you had the responsibility for people, but when you made it all through and everyone, and you could get the bands back up for, you know, whatever shortened sets, whatever they could do. And everyone appreciated it. it they were great. But to be honest, I, everyone goes, you know, you ended the tour and everyone goes, oh, it must have been money, money, money. And I'm like, no, it was just I'd done everything with that project I possibly could. Yeah. The energy I had left in me because a lot of my friends come out for one day and go, how do you do this for two months? <laughs> um I thought I'd just do other things. So I'm really enjoying, you know, being a professor right now. I'm teaching five classes. That's awesome. Uh, before I talked to you this morning, I was up, you know, going through some, I had the students do some TED talks in class and, and looking at the peer reviews. And uh, I'm enjoying, you know, the, doing the podcast because not only is it about work tours, my work life is how many people I've come across in the 40 years in the entertainment business. I've got a show coming up in Vegas. I'm doing for Recover Out Loud with Macklemore next week. So it's not like I just pulled up the stakes and went to, you know, went and hit out. Uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like you're slowing down at all, man. Not really. Not really. You know, there are times that I can slow down and go camping with my wife, and which we never really got to do. We got to spend a lot of time in our van. I'm enjoying that. Um, made some good friends over COVID, believe it or not. Some, some close friends that, you know, we had a lot of transient friends. Like yeah. we could pick up with a conversation out of what, 10, 15 years later, we can start talking just like it was yesterday. But to have some people that, you know, you can uh, commiserate with, with what's going on and that are local that you can sit in your backyard and talk to. It's, it's, it's been a nice, it's, it's been good. So now, you know, that we're a few years removed from when it kind of ended how was that first summer for you? I mean, I know you have other projects and you don't slow down, but was it kind of weird that in 25 years, this is the first summer you don't have to go out on Warped? In 2019, we had those big shows, Atlantic City and San Francisco and the Rock Hall. Um, and then 2020, the pandemic hit. And people don't, I count my, you know, you don't, I almost feel like survival guilt in some way. Because I was not planning on working that summer. I had so many friends who, you know, depended on the work they were planning on that summer. It was going to be a very busy summer out there. Um, I, I, I go, how did I time that? I mean, it wasn't time, but to end something after 25 years. <laughs> and then the pandemic. <laughs> because if we had, it was in March, you know, when we talk around March, that March 13th, March 12th. We would have been going on sale. We would have had the whole thing booked. We would have had a lot of money already out on this tour and deposits and everything. Um, it could have ruined 25 previous years of work. I, financially, it would have been devastating to myself and my family. Uh, I think now people are going, well, you know, you, and I go, I just don't know. I just turned 60. I, I'm going to be pretty cautious, to be honest. I, I have to be cautious because I... I used to be a gambler all the time. You were always throwing it out there. But when you hit a certain point, you realize you don't have that time to go make it back. 
You know, and we don't have a retirement plan in our business. The only retirement plan you have is the one you create for yourself. And I have, I'm just very cautious. So sometimes when people call me and are like, oh man, Kevin, you got it. And I'm like, man, I've got to tell you, I'm in probably the most conservative, cautious place financially and business-wise in my life right now. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to give you that, tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> so, you know, if the pandemic hadn't happened, I mean, is there ever a chance that you might bring it back for just like, cause you know, Lollapalooza used to, which we'll talk about that as well. I know you were involved with that back in the day, but I know that, you know, they're doing just kind of a once a year thing, or maybe in South America and in Chicago, would you consider bringing it back for like a once or twice a year kind of yeah, thing? I mean, I mean, I would, I really enjoy doing those, um, Atlantic city and San Francisco shows. Uh, we also had a great fun time on the cruise. Um, that would be something, you know, we did, we did as a, a group and, and as the partners decided that for five years, we would kind of shelve it, let it, you know, um, go away for five years. Uh, I think we all needed a little bit of a break. Uh, but now, I mean, we're already, we're about entering our, you know, almost our third year, third summer without it. So, uh, you know, if we're going to do anything, we've got to start at least talking about it. Man, I just remember how hard you worked. Like a lot of people probably just think that, Oh, you founded it. You're the producer, man. You were out there walking the line at seven, eight in the morning. Like like you just, you did everything. And also you were pretty easy to get a hold of if, if anybody had any issues. Like when I was on the main stage with the Ataris and when I was, you know, playing with Brazil on the smart punk stage, like I saw you all the time. And I, I just, I never felt like on other festival tours you probably saw the main guy that much did you try to make yourself available as much as possible absolutely i i i was i love producing shows i did that for 12 years before i started the warp tour like you said worked on Lollapalooza, but ran all the shows for golden voice i love live and i believe that you know if i was out there on those hot days like everyone else was it was a lot harder for people to complain, yeah. you know, uh, and they saw that we were all in it together. And that's really what we were. Um, that tour, everyone was in it together to make it work. It, it wasn't me. You know, it was my office. It was every I always say every person that was on that tour was important from the person dealing with the smallest 10 by 10 tent to my production managers and tour managers. Every person did their job and they did it really well. And they actually gave a crap about their jobs. That's all I said. It was, you were in a world where people gave a crap, whatever it was. They just, you know, you know, unlike, you know, I, you know, tell stories about when I kind of lose it, but it was always out in a public setting, like, you know, at Subway, when the guy's squeezing the mayonnaise jar and nothing's coming out, you know, and the guy goes, here's your sandwich. And I'm like, just give a crap. You know, everyone should just give a crap. And, you know, I, I think if we all, you know, gave a crap, treated Every, someone nice each day, just out of the blue, do a little, we, we can, we could, we could work this out. But right now, you know, I, you know, there's nothing worse than, than what social media has rained upon a, I don't think the younger generation, I think they're figuring out, I think they're figuring it out with this older generation that is so manipulated by things like Facebook and other social media sources. Uh, and it's just, this country, it's, and they always say make America great again or whatever, but it is a great country. Yeah. I mean, it, well, traveling, traveling around the world the way we did, you know, you see that this country is a great country. It just, 
something's something's fractured. And I and if you trace that back, it really goes, you know, to the to advent of social media and the making all these news sources echo chambers of hate and and misinformation. And I think that's what Warped Tour was. And we were a great, you know, we communicated a lot amongst each other, you know, sometimes more than any other tour. But everyone was kind of in the loop on what was going on. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it was a it was a great run. <laughs> so, you know, speaking of social media, did you guys existed from before social media through the height of all of it? Did you notice any kind of a difference in how you marketed or crowd size or, or bands that you would bring on to stay current? Like was social media a part of that? Yeah. Well, social media, we grew with social media. My first email address was Kevin warped at AOL. It was at the start of inter- It was at the start of social. It was the start of the internet. That That's the email that I emailed you when we were figuring out the dates for my first band. <laughs> but people are still emailing that sometimes. Yeah. But, um, Someone asked me the other day, is your email still Kevin Warped today? I said, no, that only went away. But um, I think we we used it. We we, we built a commu- We built an online community that was great. But I also saw the negatives of it. I saw that that moment in time when when maybe a band, when there was an issue where they used to walk over to bus number one and come and meet me under my tent. All of a sudden, they would go to social media if they had a problem or thought something versus coming and talking to me. And then that took it outside the circle to people that really didn't understand it. And and it, and, it, and things got exploded on the internet, maybe that things that could have been fixed with a discussion. And then I started, that's where I started to realize that it wasn't the same community that I started and that the community was fracturing and, you know, it, it wasn't, it, it, was, it was tough. It was a tough time around 2017. So that's really around the time when I just said, you know, someone else needs to figure this out. Someone else needs to come do this because now I'm being distracted by things that we would have settled very quickly in front of my bus. I'm dealing with outside sources and dealing with all this instead of putting on a great show. So that's why in 2018, I said, I'm going very kind of retro warp tour, brought a lot of the bands back that I knew I toured with that I wasn't bringing, I stopped developing acts at that point, went out and had one super fun summer with a bunch of friends, you know, that, that if there was something they needed to, they could walk into the production office or someone could walk to my bus and we could talk about it. And then I said, okay, we'll go out. So we had our second biggest tour in 2018. And then I'd go out with a bang in 2019, put us back on top on the way out um, and, uh, you know, wrap it up in a bow. So, you know, what I brought up earlier about kind of, I guess not really a changing of the guard because they were always like the, the bands like no effects and bad religion and, and whoever, but it did seem like there in the mid two thousands, there were more hardcore bands, more metalcore bands, maybe more pop punk bands. Was that, you know, you were developing bands, but was that the thing that I liked about warp tour? It seemed like you guys had all of the bands you always had, like your core, but then you would try out new stuff to maybe appeal to a younger generation to keep it going, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had, you know, pay homage to the past, but look to the future. That's what I always say. Everything I try to do is pay homage to where we came from. And that's where Warped was, like a backyard party. We never we never added lights. We didn't make our stages bigger. We just, it was about, and, pay, and the artists, you always want to pay to those, homage to those bands. But you needed to 
to find bands that sang to the hearts of a younger generation. Yeah. So when you would look at the barricade and a day to remember was there a paramour or some of those things, and they're singing as loud as I did to bad religion or the fans that we started when we started the tour to them, you knew you kind of needed to, to embrace those bands. And, and then, you know, later on, you know, it was like, Oh, we just blend in, you know, you started to see G easy and these kind of people out there. And it's great to see, you know, who's carrying forward the pop, the pop punk flag now is machine gun Kelly <laughs> yeah. who kind of cut his teeth as a hip hop artist and, and, and part of his, you know, out on warp tour. And he's now building a community, which I actually think he's got a great community going with Travis Barker and yeah. him are the new leaders, you know, are the new leaders who are bringing black bear and, Mod Sun and all these people up. And now I see Avril Lavigne's a pop yeah. punk girl again. You know, where was Avril? <laughs> I wanted her to always do work to her, but her management would never call me back. You know? She seems like uh, a perfect fit for it, right? Oh, yeah. She would have been great out there. But uh, it was a, it's nice to see that, it's nice to see that it's it's going forward and doing well. Well, I tell you, man, the last time that I actually played Warp Tour was with the Ataris. Uh, we were on the main stage in 2009. And I just remember how, it felt to me because it was bad religion, no effects, us, and then thrice and under oath and devil wears Prada. It was like this perfect mixture of heavy and like traditional, what used to be on warp tour. I just felt for me, I felt like, and I think it was the 15 year anniversary. Then it just felt like a perfect year for me. It was like my entire CD collection was represented at the tour. And I mean, did did you did you have a huge hand in like if you saw a band you really liked no matter what their sales or whatever I mean would you just like pick a band and go these guys are going to be on warp like how did the, the process go for that I mean absolutely I mean I spent basically the months of September and October just going through music and you know then of course uh, people would come to my backyard it was pilgrimage to Pasadena everyone would come up here we'd barbecue we'd listen to music. Of course, I wanted to get, you know, input of, from the labels that I worked with on what, you know, they're going to be releasing for the year. Um, but then there was bands I just said, I didn't have to have them on, you know, uh, a band like Wallpaper, believe it or not, which is Ricky Reed, who turned into a great producer. Uh, but, oh, man, I'm like, I had to have to have them on because, you know what, that's a band I want to walk out once in a while and just listen to. Um, and they were great members of the community. You know, they became a favorite at the barbecues just you know, bringing the party backstage to a band like Pepper. I, you yeah. know, it didn't matter whether they had a record or not. You had to have Pepper out there because they brought the spirit, you know, uh, you know, I think Warp Tour, you know, we, they talk about the Aloha spirit and the Warp Tour was very, very similar to that. A lot louder and a lot more hectic than Hawaii. But, you know, it was uh, the same spirit of cooperation and family. Well, I tell you, man, I, I want to go back a little bit because I've always been very intrigued on kind of how it started. You know, the first year was 1995. I've gotten to be really close with uh, Matt from No Use for a Name. We actually have a new band together called Fire Sale. We're putting out a record. And he's told me all kinds of stories about, you know, sharing a bus with L7 and, and like the, this whole thing. That first oh, year when you, you know, had this idea, you, you'd you been working in the clubs, you'd done stuff with Lollapalooza as a stage manager. What was it like trying to put it together that first year? Like, were that did the band say no? Did the bands all say yes? I don't, you know, it was interesting. We did it very quickly. We started around late March and we were out on the road by August 1st. Wow. And I think that we were, you know, April, May, June, July, like within four months we were on the road. 
So maybe we did it so quick, no one had any thoughts about why am I doing this? It was just kind of, it went up very quickly. Uh, you know, we had the you know support of, of CAA, which I have to say helped to get that off the ground. And I can't, they probably strong-armed, I know they strong-armed a few promoters to take the show, but um, it was, we just went out and I, you know, I, I rallied up friends and people that we worked around the clubs together in venues. It was a, a really, it was a, a, you know, very little touring experience. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. When you put a tour out like that, usually you went and got like back then, you know, older crew together. We had a very young crew. Most of them had never been on tour. So, you know, people who had never been on tour leading other people who had just starting to tour and myself who had only a couple tours, but a lot of local experience, it wasn't, you know, we just didn't, you know, it was, we didn't know what we were doing, which probably saved us yeah. because, you know, if we knew what we were doing, we probably would have turned around around the second show and come home. Uh, but we just kept going. I, I don't think we knew any better. And uh, I'm glad we did. I'm glad we got those 25 shows in uh, that first year. What, what year was it when you kind of thought in your mind, Oh, this is a thing now and it's going to continue. Like I could see the first couple of years, maybe it was touch and go. Well, I mean, 96, you got Pennywise and no effects. So the audience jumped, like it was huge growth. Yeah. You know, but we're talking from 500 people to 5,000 people. Well, that's huge growth. You know, uh, I think we we're, we we're, didn't, we, once again, we didn't make any money. Um, we, it was like nip and tuck till the end, but Vans had come in as a sponsor so it kind of saved us that year um, and got us out there. But by then, people were starting to see it like, wow, this is different. Um, I think, you know, Kevin, he's out here working. We see him. But he's not, you know, he's out here helping us run. And I was working with a lot of promoters at that point who had never gotten a show like that. They would have been passed over for a Lollapalooza or a Horde or one of those other festivals. So people like John Peters up in the Northeast, who's now doing all the big festivals and things going through it was his first time to start learning how to do these things and put these events together so it was we were growing together and it was their big anchor each year that they actually got to work with all these bands that they wanted to come tour through their clubs like you said you went back and there was many more people at the show and he knew that he knew that if he did warped and took notes he'd book all those bands coming through in the fall and his clubs would be filled up that, that's that's awesome, man. I want to talk about uh, the, some of the smaller stages, which which really always intrigued me. Not only were there smaller stages on the tour, I know that was kind of like an evolution where every couple of years, like stage would would buy on, or there would just be all these different stages. But I remember when I was on the tour, every time I was on the tour, it seemed like they were bands selling stuff that weren't even on the tour legitimately. Yeah, they were, they were falling around. There was, you know, and that was the thing I, I said, I, that one, I, I didn't encourage and I didn't discourage. Yeah. Uh, I understood that kids couldn't get in clubs and selling tickets in, in venues during the summertime was hard. Club shows were hard during the summertime. So if they could go out and follow around in their van and sell 50 to some big, some kids were selling like 250 CDs out there a day. You know, my high school I, band, we did one day where we sold 200. It was the most insane thing in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. How am I going to discourage someone that's chasing their dream? Yeah. And, and send them, so let them, let them go do it. 
And, um, you know, then we, you know, there was deep stories there that, cause we had some, there was some illegal shit going out in the parking lot. You know, we'd be dealing with people selling fake tickets or scamming wristbands and stuff like that. So we had little narc vans. Like if they, if they narked out the, the, the bad, no, no, you know, if they were the narcs out, I'd let them come in and sell, sell CDs <laughs> in the, in the, in the venue or give them, give them a 20 minute spot on stage. So, <laughs> awesome. you know, there was, they were lined up to, to become snitches at that point. So I want to talk a little bit to the thing that always I didn't really know a lot about, of course, because I wasn't on these dates. But you guys did Warped in Australia a couple of times. You did Warped Japan, some stuff in Europe and the UK. What's yeah. the undertaking like for that? Because I know what an undertaking is to go on tour over there. But to bring that many bands and kind of have it be a Warped thing, is that a bigger undertaking? Well, I wasn't smart. I had never been to those places. That was another thing. I had never gotten to travel. So, you know. Normally you buy a ticket and you go travel and you get a train and stay in the hostels. Me, my first time to Europe, I have to bring like 60 of my friends and you have to go do shows everywhere. So really what I was doing those years was pretty much taking my profits from the U.S. tour and spending them overseas uh, with my friends and having a great time. Uh, that model had to change at some point. My wife was like, this is ridiculous. I go, she goes, you know, it, but, you know, we, we, we had some very, then we started to have some pretty successful tours in Europe where, where, um, where we were drawing big crowds, especially like in Australia, we, you know, but that exchange of bands was important too for me because, uh, you know, we go to Australia and this little band shows up in a van because they heard you could in the U S <laughs> and that was the living end. Wow. Yeah. And they played a kickoff event like we would do in the U S down there. And we became friends and I said, Oh, we'll bring, I'll bring you to the U S and Daryl, who was um, the agent at CA goes, Whoa. And he helped introduce him a record label. So then they toured with us in Australia, which were a very big band, but we supported them in the U S or in Germany, uh, a band called Die Totenhosen from yeah. Germany, yeah. which, you know, sells out stadiums in Germany wanted to come to Australia. Now, you know, in Australia, they couldn't draw six people. So, but we let the six, we let the six people with German passports in for free at every show and they'd stand in front and uh, drink beer and sing every word. But that band was our band in Germany to draw, to help bring bad religion and blink in these bands. We got to play some of the biggest festivals in Germany because we had Titoos and <laughs> So I have a question kind of about that as, as far as like bands on the tour that are bigger in certain markets, smaller. Now, I got to to know the guys in Alexis on Fire on that 2009 tour. And when we were in the States, they seemed to play some of the mid-level stages. But then, of course, when we got into Canada, they were on the main stage because in Canada, they were selling out stadiums and stuff. Is yeah. that is that a thing? Like, do you pre-plan that or is that day of you're like, oh, we should probably move them up? Sometimes I would move them up are an artist just on a whim, but I'm pretty sure with bands like simple plan or some 41 or, or Alexis on fire, you know, it was, unique, you know, it was also a safety thing because, you, you know, to put them on the bigger stage, we, you know, there were some safety issues there. And sometimes it didn't, you know, we didn't have anywhere to put people. So you'd have, I remember, you know, like fallout boy playing like the Ernie ball stage and stage sliding across the parking lot because the <laughs> people were pushing on it. But you know, a lot of, sometimes it was safety, but it was also like, Hey, you wanted to say, Hey, you know, let's show the other bands how big you are up in your own home territory. 
That's awesome. I just remember Alexis on Fire, they would come to Indianapolis and there'd be like 40 people there. But then I went and saw them in Toronto and it was the biggest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So I would like to talk a little bit about the whole Lollapalooza thing, you know, in particular 91, because I just think that lineup was so killer. Like Nine Inch Nails, Ice-T, Rollins Band, yeah. But All Surfers, Living Color, the whole thing. Do you have any crazy stories from that year in particular? Because I know you were the stage manager that year. The whole tour was crazy. I mean, the whole tour was absolutely <laughs> crazy because we, I don't think anyone really expected us to do that great. I think when they put Lollapalooza together, most of those bands were playing large theaters. They were that. And then when Perry put that together with, with Mark Geiger and they brought, they asked me to come because I was, everyone knew me from LA. I was like, oh, these are my favorite bands. But when they put that thing on sale, I don't think anyone ever expected it to do what we could do. Uh, you know, that tour was, you know, and then you, you know, you had Nine Inch Nails and, uh, you know, just the big grass fights and people throwing grass and I'd be on stage, like, you know, and go out in the crowd. It was just, it was never, it was on all the time. Um, you know, the craziest Lollapalooza was 92 though. Okay. That was really crazy because that had like, ministry on it had the chili peppers it was always you know al jorgensen trying to do one crazier thing than the lat everyone else and um but i'll just tell you it was it was super exciting to be on that Lollapalooza because it you know it was kind of like when warp tour broke through later on and and really um that it was just so different and you know for me i was working so hard on the tour that I was beat up. I was cut up because all the equipment that had to move so quickly across the stages, we were breaking every union rule in the, in the book at that point, the unions weren't ready for us. You know, they wanted to fight us all the time. It was just, it was madness, but we had to get it done. And, you know, I just remember coming home from that show. I still have scars all over me from that tour. <laughs> I just, I remember I was talking to my buddy Dewey who hosts another podcast called the Pure pleasure podcast. And he said there was some story he heard about, that like Gibby from the butthole servers had a shotgun on stage. Oh yeah. He shot a, a shotgun with blanks. I mean, you know, he, that was, uh, you know, yeah. Gibby, Gibby was, uh, he was always a handful no matter where. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a handful back in the clubs when I was there, but yeah, shooting the uh, shot double barrel shotgun blanks was, uh, was always, uh, was part of his show. <laughs> well, I tell you what, man, um, I have a couple of listener questions if you wouldn't mind answering those and then I'll let you sure. get out of here. Okay. Uh, a mutual friend of both of ours, Mr. Rick DeVoe, he actually posted on my on my Instagram thing. He said, ask Kevin about running on the beach at 2 a.m. in Normandy, France on Warped Europe. Do you have any memories of that? Oh, yeah, we were we were we were waiting for the ferry boats like to come get across. And we ran. The tide goes down so far out there. It's like this massive tide. And we just went running. Let's find the ocean. And we just ran across the mud flats. <laughs> And the tide comes in really quick. So all of a sudden we're watching it and it's like turns around and it starts coming the other way. And just us hanging out, Daryl, me, Rick, just being kids again, being kids on tour. That's awesome. I, Rick was on the program uh, about a year or two ago and he, he had a lot of good stories about you guys hanging out as well. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, Rick, thank you so much for uh, for your question. Ben from Connecticut, he wants to know what your favorite off-day activity is. My favorite off-day activity became fishing, absolutely. Uh, it, we started out as golf. We would all play golf, but it was always so hot. 
And I'll never forget, we were playing golf one time, guys from Green Day, Bad Religion, No Effects, somewhere up in Iowa. And I think we all got like heat stroke. <laughs> like, you know, we were drinking beers and having fun. And we got about, you know, nine holes, you're out in the middle of nowhere. And, try, and, and we had, a, and it was, and I go, wait a second. And I was starting to make a little bit more money. And I was like able to charter boats and take people fishing. So my best times were always fishing, whether we were fishing in the Gulf. One time it was with um, Howard from Killswitch Engage and Jay Bentley came and we were out 70 miles out in the ocean catching giant tuna um, or just, you know, taking Paramore out fishing on a, on a day in Florida and letting them get away from their career was blowing up at that point. But they, uh, they needed a day off. And I just said, you're going fishing. So, you know, recently, you know, in the past few years, you know, met Jamie from Hate Breed. We met one fishing down in Florida. Um, always loved the fishing. That was my favorite. Other days were great. We did skydiving. We did rafting, houseboat. Houseboating was never that fun for me because I was always so nervous people were going to crash the houseboats. <laughs> yeah. I always loved the days off. Actually, the funny thing is that first time that I met you, Rory was teaching me how to surf and we saw you on the beach. <laughs> that's when he oh, introduced yeah. me to you. So yeah, the days off were always really, really cool. I, I never got to go fishing, but I, I, I would have liked to have done that. I know that, uh, Chuck Reagan from hot water music, that guy fishes all the, he like does it for oh, a job. I've, I've had the honor. I've had Chuck would come out and ride my bus and do some acoustic sets. And I, we'd always time it. So there was the day off to go fishing. <laughs> so that he would come out and ride. And I've actually had the honor to go uh, fly fishing with him. He's a, you know, a guide up on the Yuba river. And he took me one afternoon and it, we had a, so much fun and I've been meaning to get back. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, you, I follow him on Instagram and it's just like, Oh, he's fishing again. Oh, he's fishing again. <laughs> and now he's like Mr. Traeger barbecue, man. So it's like, everything's about Traeger barbecue. Well, I tell you, if there's anybody in the punk rock world you want to take fishing, that'd probably be Chuck. <laughs> I'm sure he'd probably yeah. catch quite a lot. Okay, uh, Ben from Connecticut, thank you so much for your question. I have one more listener question. Josh from California says, was there ever a defining moment when you thought that hip-hop slash rap was maybe not going to work on the tour as well as originally thought? Well, you know, we always had rap, hip I I always could have it, but you couldn't lead with it. Yeah. That's the thing. What the, the year that I led with Eminem and Blink that year, that's when message boards had started. And the attacks on the message boards came. I also realized how passionate people were about this, this tour at that point, how they adopted it. And, and we, even though we had hip hop on the tour up to that point, we didn't lead with it. Yeah. And when we led with hip hop, it opened the subject of abuse. Everyone said they were going to turn their backs or throw rocks at Eminem. Now they all got to say that, oh, I got to see Eminem at one of his first shows. Yeah, you know? dude, I got to oh, see him in 99 in Chicago, and I thought it was amazing myself. Yeah, you know, but it was like, the, the, but the fierce hatred spewed at me at that point shook me up because message, message boards were fairly new. Yeah. And, but I also realized that this tour was very important to a lot of people then. And so I curated it. We had hip hop, but I never led with it. I made sure that people knew about the bands that they were going to want to latch onto before I announced the hip hop bands. Well, thank you, Josh, very much for that question. Uh, I only really have one more thing I wanted to ask you, and then I'll let you get out of here. I've always been a big Sublime fan. I have a lot of you know mutual friends with those guys. I've had Brad's son was on the show, Jacob, and 
I've just always heard the, you know, the legend of them getting kicked off of Warp Tour. Can you kind of just give me a little brief summary of what happened that whole time? Well, it was interesting. I just, it was great because I just had Kelly Knoll on, on my show talking about the foundation and what they're doing. Uh, but they did, there was a rule and I, and you know, I love animals. I have animals, but I hated Dog. <laughs> and anyone who says they like Dog, other than the band and maybe the, some of their closest friends is lying. Yeah. <laughs> that dog did not like anything, but their circle. He was like, he was jumped into the sublime circle. Like he was their enforcer. Now I made a rule. I said, no dog, no friends out on the road. Cause their friends were like dude, Lou dog. They were like pack animals. They, they ran in a pack. Yeah. And we went to New Jersey where Asbury park. And it was actually the first day we actually probably drew 2000 people that first year signs of hope, like breath of air into this project. And we, there was a, a gay cowboy bar right behind the Stone Pony. And we all, of course, are going to go over there and party because the Stone Pony was the venue and it was packing up. And here comes the friends and Lou Dog showed up. Within minutes, he'd bitten two people. Wow. I said, don't you guys. And I said, I don't want to see that dog again tomorrow, but I always give people a chance. And the next morning I walk up and first thing is someone's some dog just bit me. And I'm like, what? So I come off and it's Lou Dog had bit a skateboarder. And I fucking went to Brad and I go, Brad, this is ridiculous. He goes, he just hates skateboarders. I go, you're on a fucking skateboard tour. So there's the second chance. The next day I said, I said, if I see your friends or your dog tomorrow, you're going to, I'm going to send you home. I walk in the basement of Nassau Coliseum, which we were playing like a little corner parking lot. It was funny. We used to do, it got to be a very big show, but we were literally in a little grass area. I walked downstairs and they had literally two boxes of cereal for catering. There's their friends eating one. And there's a, one's been poured into a bowl for Ludoc. And I said, that's it. I didn't know at this point what I, I you know, I'm, I'm hanging on by a thread, yeah. literally hanging on by a thread. I'm losing, I'm just hanging in. And I go, you know what? You're taking all my time. Go home for a few days. And meet us. You're welcome to meet us if you want in Seattle. We were playing Bumbershoot in Seattle. Now, really what I did was, this is how few shows we had. We were in New York and we had a drive to Seattle. And I think we had one show in Milwaukee <laughs> in between. So technically they got kicked off for one show, but it was like five days or six yeah. days. <laughs> and they came up and they played their show in Seattle. And I just said, you know, come play and just stay away from me basically for the rest. And we, you know, we went from, you know, we went from, uh, I think that first year we went from Seattle down to Portland, down to San Francisco, and then we ended in Irvine. So they really, I think missed one or two shows at the most. What is it? You know, one more thing real quick before we get out of here, what is the, when you guys are setting up the tour, you're kind of, you know, plant like planning the dates out. Like I've done the tour in a van. I've done the tour in a bus. Bus is better because I can sleep and the guy goes to the next show. Vans, sometimes there's a massive drive, you know, between the dates. Does that all depend on the venue's availability, like the holds on the venues? It was venue availabilities. Other than like Salt Lake, I know we did some big jumps there because you couldn't play Salt Lake on a Sunday. Okay. You know? So you had to play on a Saturday, so we had to drive all. So we'd go like... We go Las Vegas to Dan, or you know, we go 
like Salt Lake to Denver overnight, back to Vegas or some crazy, you know, <laughs> yeah. routing. But it was always because you had to play certain places on a weekend, like a Saturday. You know, and we always wanted, there were certain cities you wanted, you wanted to play Chicago on a Saturday because that big world amphitheater, we could do 30,000 people, you know, there. And uh, so it was a little bit of that, but some, uh, yeah, I hate, but we tried to go as straight a line, especially later as the fuel prices were going up and the cost of touring, I would try to go as straight a line as possible. And I, and, you know, to be honest, got to the point where I could actually strong arm those dates a little bit against other artists. When we were the little warp tour, we just had to take what we can get. Yeah, And as we got a little more clout, I could say, no, okay, we, if you can't give us the date at your venue, I'll go find a parking lot somewhere else. I'm sure someone else will do your show. And then they would get the other act to make a decision or move off that date. So one more thing then, I guess this just kind of came up as you were saying that I grew up in Indiana. Uh, you know, Noblesville is the big amphitheater. Yeah. It used to be Verizon. It was Deer Creek before that. When I was younger, the early Warp Tours, we always had to go to Chicago. And then I, I don't know what year it was, but one year it's like, oh, the heavens opened up and now they're coming to Noblesville, which is only a half hour from my house. Is that a thing of where you find out the market has changed and you can sell more tickets there? The market would support it. Okay. You know, we, well, I'm sure we said, you know, when we booked it the first time, we said, okay, we, we're willing to lose a little money to see if the market's going to sustain it. And enough people came out and the loss was, was acceptable. Yeah. Cause there was other times we just lost so much money. We're like, we, there, you can't come back here. It's never, the market's not going to sustain it. Like Montana, you know, yeah. we there and, um, because the bands did, you know, we, we got later in the tour too, towards the end where if we wanted to try a smaller market, we would go, we would, everyone thing was an A market and everyone was paid a certain way, but then we'd go, Hey, we want to try this market. Do you guys want to fill this date? We have to call it a B market and we renegotiate the deals. And then if we did really well, we would pay everyone. If we hit a certain threshold, everyone would get paid. Um, up, so everyone wanted to work. No one wanted to take days off. Yeah. I mean, you know, we could talk about days off, but we all know how much touring because a lot of people gave me shit. Well, you know, some people that don't understand the business, um, some merch guy or, or some guitar tech that we work every day on that tour. Well, it wasn't so I was making it was your artists wanted to work every day because you know what? They 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 worked, they played 30 minutes, they got to do sell a lot of merchandise. They were actually working that day because days off on tour cost money. Oh yeah. And they cost money. So people, you know, when we could fill a date, trust me, managers, agents, and were more than happy to say, like, yeah, fill that date so we can pick up the money for our band. Well, I tell you what, Kevin, this has just been a delight to have you on the show. Uh, I just want to say again that, you know, what you've done with Warp Tour and just how you are as a guy, you've always been super, super nice to me and very helpful and inspiring with everything I've done in my career. And I I just want to thank you once again for just being you, man. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. And, you know, hopefully one day, you know, now that I'm... We're getting closer. We got out to South Dakota in my Sprinter van this year. It's my new tour bus. Me and my wife, you know, we do. We, we plan on spending a lot, lot, a lot of time out there the next couple summers. So maybe we'll cross paths. Yeah, you, you get right. out to Indiana anytime, man. I'll, I'll buy you a beer or something. All right, great <laughs> to talk to you. Be safe. Thank you so much, man. I'll talk to you in the future. Thank you. Take care. So there it was. My conversation with Mister Kevin Lyman. It was such a great time catching up with Kevin. Warped is so important to my early years, just as an attendee of the tour. 
And then, you know, also so instrumental in any success I've had with any of my past bands. Warped was honestly life-changing for me in so many ways, as it was for many of the guests that have been on the show. The one thing that we always kind of talk about on the show is, you know, guests on this show always bitch about the heat and how hard Warp Tour was. And all of that is true. I will admit it. And Kevin would probably admit it as well. We talked about the weather and the thunderstorms and all the stuff and being on blacktop in Arizona, whatever. But the memories that I made while on that tour will last a lifetime. I mean, I think back only fond stuff. You know, I, I remember hanging a sun shower from a bus mirror and taking a shower outside and and all the stuff that's even like being on the main stage that's not just being on a baby stage i mean it's uh it's quite an experience and it's such a really cool achievement you know to be the longest running largest festival tour in history and we kind of mentioned that you know i asked him did he think anybody was ever going to best that like that record and I don't think it's going to happen. You know, I, a while back there was a, there was an exhibit at the rock and roll hall of fame and warp tour stuff was in there. I had people sending me pictures of it. I think there was actually a picture of the Atari's playing at some date in 2009. And uh, that was just kind of cool to be, to just be involved with anything with the rock and roll hall of fame. People always like make fun of it and say it doesn't matter, but that's pretty badass. So, yeah, just the whole fact that, you know, Kevin's little idea of getting bands out there from the clubs in L.A. turned into what it turned into. A warp Tour is just, it's an amazing thing. And, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm so happy to have Kevin on today. If you can't tell, I'm pretty excited. Um, I would like to kind of parlay this into something for you, the listener. I like to get you involved. I want to hear your memories of the last time you went to the tour or cool stories from when you were at the tour playing on the tour or just attending that your local date sneaking in like whatever i want to hear your warp tour story so call the hotline and let me know i will feature my favorites on an upcoming episode all you have to do is leave me a voicemail at 765-372-8818 that is 765- Three seven two eight eight one eight, and make sure to check out Kevin's excellent new podcast, My Warped Life. It uh, it was the podcast I needed in my life. <laughs> it makes me just remember all the good times and all the bad times on Warp Tour. And this podcast started as a tour story podcast. It kind of evolved into more stuff, but you know. This is the perfect guest and perfect topic for that one time on tour. And I couldn't be happier about this episode. And I've rambled on for a really long time. But that is it for this week. I appreciate you spending so much time with me every week. Make sure to follow us on the socials at TOTOT Podcast. Follow my new band on the socials. We are at Fire Sale is a band. And check out our website, firesaleisaband.com, for limited pre-sale bundles of our brand new debut 7-inch record. Uh, Pick it up. There's only a little bit of time left to pre-order, and uh, stocks are low. So go check it out, firesaleisaband.com. If you are interested in that, you can also grab it, just the record itself, in the U.S., 
at sbam-rocks.us, spam-rocks.us, or you can grab it in Europe at shop.sbam.rocks. If you need to get in touch with me to sponsor an episode or you just have a guest suggestion or you just want to shoot the shit, whatever, I'm usually available. Uh, and you can hit me up on the emails, podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to check out our website, like I said, for all the show notes and all the links to the sponsors and all the really cool stuff. Our website is tototpodcast.com. Grab some merch while you're there. That is the easiest and best way to, maybe not the easiest way, but it's the best way to support your favorite podcast. If we are indeed your favorite podcast. I, I hope we're at least top five, maybe top 10. I put this thing up on the Facebook uh, the other day, on the Facebook, I sound stupid, on Facebook, that uh, I've been reading all this stuff about the Machine Gun Kelly feud with Corey Taylor from Slipknot. And I mean, I'll say it right now. I would have either of those guys on the program, but I don't listen to Slipknot. I don't listen to Machine Gun Kelly. I think they would be pretty fascinating people to talk to. But yeah, I'm not a huge fan of either either band or either guy. But uh, I thought it would be funny. And some people took it the wrong way. Everybody kind of got the humor in it. I was like, I'm going to pick a fight with another mid-level podcast host. And I had people leave me comments. So uh, so yeah, go on the Facebook or just email me. Let me know who I should pick a beef with, pick a fight with. You know, a lot of people said Krista Makes. A lot of people said Dewey from Pure Pleasure. Uh, I think someone said Jamie Josta. I don't know if I'd want to mess with Jamie Josta, but uh, I can mess with Demakes. I can mess with Dewey. Dewey's a big guy. Dewey might take me down. I don't know. But uh, it was all in good fun. It was a joke. So anybody out there that didn't get my joke, you have a horrible sense of humor. But uh, yeah, it's called sarcasm. Look it up. I'm not going to be beefing with any podcast hosts. I thought it was funny. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. That's the end of this episode. So what I'm going to do, I didn't really know what to play. And I didn't ask Kevin if he had like something that I should play at the end of the episode. So I'm going to leave you with a song from my old band, the Ataris, or as uh, I, had, I had an Ataris like beanie on one time back in the day. And I was at a Burger King. It was really cold. I had the beanie on. And this girl comes up and she's like, what's the Adderis? And I said, oh, it's the church camp that I go to. I just always thought that was funny. And for some reason, I always remembered that. It might not be funny. It's funny to me. It makes me laugh. The Adderis. But yes, I'm going to leave you with a song from my old band, the Ataris. The last time we were on Warp Tour was 2009. And we had the honor of having this song included on the tour compilation. It's called All Souls Day. And I hope you enjoy it. I enjoy it. It's a really cool song. I really dig it. And uh, there's also an F-bomb in the song. And I think I could be wrong. I haven't broke out my CD for a while. But I think on the compilation, it was edited. Because <laughs> Chris says, burn that fucking chapel to the ground. And I think on the compilation, it was just burn that chapel. Like, they just, like, totally took out the F-bomb. I could be wrong. It's been over 10 years ago. So, uh if you have that 2009 Warped compilation, it's got Fat Mike on the cover. It's got a green thing, and then there's a picture of Fat Mike playing bass. But uh, yeah, check it out and let me know. Is it edited? Because I don't even know where my fucking CDs are. I think it was edited 
on the compilation. But either way, the version I'm going to play you is not edited. I'm going to play you the Atari's All Souls Day from the 2009 Warp Tour compilation. I tell you what, I've been talking for a long time and I'm really tired. And I love you guys and gals. And I want to tell you, you should remember to always wash your hands, wear your masks, get vaccinated if you can, get your booster if you can. I know that's a new thing. Like Biden got his booster. A bunch of people are getting their booster. Uh, Be kind to one another. That's a big deal. And especially during the pandemic, you got to be kind to people. You know, some guy the other day, I walked into the gas station. He goes, why are you wearing a mask? Because we're in the middle of a pandemic, dipshit. Like, that's what I said. And he turned around and walked away. Uh, So, yeah. So, wear your masks. Don't be an asshole. Get vaccinated if you can. Be kind to one another. (laughs) Be kind to one another. Like I said, that's a big deal. And as always, this is your friend and confidant, Chris Swinney. From that one time on tour. Hopefully I'll see you next week. Peace. You said you wanted to be loved. I think you wanted to be saved. Well tell me how am I supposed to save a girl like you. When I don't even know how to save myself. Wish I could just forget. The double lives, the awkwardness. A union scarred by a house we built on top of our regrets There we were in California Two tarnished golden hearts Were we ever really together? Or just afraid of being apart? I wish I could drive all night Wake up in the harsh daylight In a different town, start a brand new life And never have to see your face again
Hey, this is Lars Fredrickson from Rancid. This is Mark O'Connell from Taking Back Sunday. This is Tom from MXPX. Hey, this is Jay Bentley from Bad Religion. This is Vinny from Less Than Jake. This is Travis from Coheed and Cambria. This is Chris number two for the band Anti-Flag. Hey, this is Ricky Rocket from Poison. This is Pete Parada from The Offspring. Hey, this is Zach Blair from Rise Against. Hey, this is Eddie from the band Thrice. Hi, this is Frank Turner. Hey, this is Jim from Pennywise. Hey, this is Eric Smelly, the drummer of No Effects. Hi, this is Bill from Faith and More. Hey, this is Chris from Propagandy. Hi, this is Rory from No Use for Name. Hi, this is Ben Gillies from Silverchair. This is Stefan from Descendants, and you're listening to That One Time On Tour with Chris Swinney. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.